everyone. Welcome to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, best-selling author and director of, senior director of valuation services at CFGI, where I help my clients figure out the value of their business, their intellectual property assets, and their complex financial instruments. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about me, you can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. In my world, business value and business performance is measured by the numbers. Uh, but savvy executives know there's usually more to the story. So welcome to the program where we dig a little bit deeper to understand what really matters most in business. Today I've got a very interesting guest. We're going to be talking about things that initially started out in our, our pregame conversation as an entrepreneurial playbook, but really it's applicable for entrepreneurs, leaders, executives, and anyone, frankly, in an organization chart who aspires to some role of leadership. And today my guest is Doug Bloom, who's this uh, the CEO coach and the Philadelphia chair for Tiger 21. Doug, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what is Tiger 21? Well, Tiger 21 is a organization where uh, people have accumulated significant wealth, uh, more than $10 million of, of wealth, personal wealth, where they can get together with other similar people and, and discuss the challenges and the opportunities that wealth provides. And, and so we talk about a lot of things. Uh, uh, the, the chair, the group meets uh, monthly and um, we, we have considerable, uh, several hours where we, we talk about wealth management, wealth expansion, uh, lifestyle, legacy, philanthropy, um, but a lot of family dynamics, uh, whether you know, a kid got arrested or somebody died or um, wills, uh, sta estates and trusts, how much money do you leave to whom? Uh, the, the key is, is the conversations that are relevant, they're on point, uh, they're candid, they're, they're informed, um, uh, most of these uh, people that accumulate wealth start to get isolated. And so they have a room where they can go and they, they really have a board of advisors who can speak to them on a regular basis about things that are going on in their lives. So it's a, it's a, it's a really interesting environment. The group in Philadelphia is small, however, the, the organization has more than 700 members internationally, more than $60 billion in personal assets, and, and you have access to all those people as well. If you're going to LA or to Palm Beach or Chicago or Montreal, you can sit down and join a meeting. So um, if people are interested in that, they can get a hold of me there about Tiger at doug.bloom at tiger21chair.com for more information on Tiger. Okay. Me personally, yeah. um, um, uh, I like to joke that I'm a reformed venture-backed CEO, but that's not true because I'm, I'm not really reformed. <laughs> but the, um, I think the, uh, the, for the last 30 odd years, I've either been part of or supporting um, the, the, either the ownership group, the investor group, or the executive group of privately held uh, growth stage companies. And so it, it, it's taken me to a lot of different experiences, a lot of different roles from CEO, COO, managing director, investment officer, um, business development, VP of sales. I've worked in public companies. I've grown groups in public companies from 100 to 300 people. I've grown groups in, in privately held companies from zero to, to, to 80 in very short periods of time, number of people. Um, I've had to lay off a group, one group of 300 people in one year, which was wow. an interesting experience. Um, I've been involved in buying companies, selling companies, investments in companies, raising venture capital, uh, being on the venture capital side as an associate for several years. Um, so I've done a lot of different experiences and the key to me, um, my best skills are, are reading people, engaging others, um, and solving problems. So I've always had this kind of construct of trying to figure out what motivates people to do what they do. And where do we go wrong with that decision? So I've come to some conclusions I think we're going to talk about, we about where, does, where does value get created in an organization? Yeah, we certainly are. And that's a great springboard. So let's, let's 
take it from the top, so to speak. I've, I've reviewed what you shared with me, and for folks watching at home, we don't script. Uh, we, we go through a process of understanding kind of a theme for a program, and Doug shared with me what really read like an entrepreneurial playbook. Um, and there were a couple key themes I really want to just touch on. And the first one is a recurring theme about it being lonely at the top. Yeah, the, it's kind of, it's a playbook. I shared the playbook. I didn't share the missed playbook. Um, what I didn't mention is we've done a lot of uh, deeds and misdeeds along the way as, as entrepreneurs. And, and uh, what people don't understand is, is that the, the CEO office becomes extremely isolating. You can have a great meeting. The customer walks out there, say they're going to do business, and you walk back in your office and go, holy hell, who do I tell I'm not paying next week because I don't have payroll coming through? And you can be a big company. I've, I've got a, a client that I'm working with has got looking like an $18 million top line this year, but they're still managing money like they're a, a $2 million company because uh, one of their major clients doesn't pay for 120 mm. days. So, and they just grew, they just grew the volume of work. So what happens in the CEO's office is this concept of uh, they don't have any, anybody they can talk to. They can't talk to their spouse about it because they're tired of hearing about it. They certainly can't talk to their investors about some of these challenges. Their senior team, they don't want to alarm because they haven't figured it out yet and they don't want to lose that I'm in, I'm in control sort of uh, view. Right. Um, they can't talk to their vendors and, and, and customers about it, so they get really isolated. So the loneliness that occurs in the, in the, in the CEO's office is one of not having solutions, ways, places that people can go to, to figure things out. So you've got to create touchstones for yourself. You know, you got to have your metrics. You got to have um, you got to have your support groups. You got to have your, your support groups outside of your office. You can talk to your lawyer. You can talk to your, your accountant. There's other people you can talk to and certainly you can talk to a coach, but I'm not making a pitch. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So the loneliness aspect of it when I think about it is you can't make decisions in a vacuum. So what, what's your advice for you know, the CEO or entrepreneur who's currently in that circumstance where they can't have this conversation at the dinner table because it's been talked to death and what do they do? The, the, the entrepreneur is the person I feel most, uh, uh, you know, I feel most for um, because that's the person who's really struggling and they really don't have a team around them at that point. They're probably the person and everybody else is supporting them with their vision and mission. I'm talking about the, the one to five person company and it's all riding the backs of one person. Um, having good partners, having good advisors, start an advisory board early. I'm a member of uh, eLab. Right, Executive a, Leaders for Advisory Boards. Which is, uh, which is an organization which helps growth stage companies find advisory boards. And, and the power of an advisory board is huge because those people, just like a tiger group, those people are there to support you and your mission without really getting, uh, having to sell anything for it to you. They're not trying to, to, to sell to you, they're trying to help you. But you need to find people you can talk to about what's going on. Number two, you've got to open up. So you, you've got to create a vision, and as people buy into that vision, when things are on vision and off vision, then you can begin to make decisions more, more, uh, more, more uh, confidently as, as you're going along. Yeah. The, key, the key things is companies don't get clear on their vision, and they don't get clear on their values. If you have values, if you know that, uh, say, say uh, uh, efficiency and, and customer service are two of your values, then you will not do things even if it's difficult, you'll do things only that are efficient and do great customer service. And if, you, you're, if you're going off values, then you really gotta ask yourself, what's the motivation for this, for this behavior or this, this activity? It might be survival, but then you gotta rethink a lot of things. So when you talk about motivation and behavior, you're starting to touch into the psychological component of leadership. So what do you say to that CEO or business owner who doesn't feel lonely and they think, I've got all the answers? <laughs> that, they're the, they're the tougher one to talk to. Um, uh, I always talk about the, the, the kind of the, the, the normal curve of pr 
of performance. And when I used to consult, there was a normal curve of performance that said that, that um, if you look at the median performance in the middle, there's a great population around the middle of performance, average performance. Yeah. You get the companies which are really on the low end of performance, the companies that are really on the high end of performance, more than one sigma, one standard deviation away. And you, these here, the, these ones on the low end are the expiring companies, and these on the, on the high end are the inspiring companies. Those are the ones that are, they know they need help. Everybody in the middle who's got average performance and they really don't feel pressure, they're just drifting along and they're okay. So sometimes you can't help that CEO. What you can say to them is, look, hey, you get into a series of questions, you know, what, what keeps you up at night? Everybody yeah. has something that keeps up, you know, up at night. You know, what are your pain points? What do you, would you do if you were trapped on an island, you could mm -hmm. only get five pieces of the data every day and, and, and your people were running the business? Well, how would you want them to run the business? Do you have those people in place now? So you can begin to ask them about questions about yeah. what are they doing, but at the end of the day, if they're happy, um, there's an old joke about it I'm not going to go into, but if they're happy, there's not a lot you can do for them. Yeah, it's a tough nut to crack. You mentioned at the opening very quickly how people can contact you. How can folks reach you if they want to learn more or if they'd like to work with you? Sure. Uh, for Tiger, it's Doug.Bloom at Tiger21Chair.com. And for me, it's DAB at DABVentures.com. Um, I'm reachable on LinkedIn. Um, I buy and receive great cups of coffee very well. Uh, and my phone number is 215-290-5294. Very good. Thank we have about four minutes to go in this segment, so I want to shift gears to another theme, um, and it's people. So one of the things that came out of my book, a quote that's been shared that sort of encapsulates what you shared, I'm going to share that with you and let you respond to it, because I think we, we hit on the same notes, but what I said that kind of resonated with people was that the value of a business is a function of how well the financial capital and the intellectual capital are managed by the human capital, so you better get the human capital part right. And it was fascinating that in looking at your playbook, you have very similar words there. You want to talk to that? Yeah, I just plagiarized you. No. no. Well, that explains it. <laughs> no, I think, I think the, the writing you're referring to is um, that you can be a, 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 a people-prioritized business or financial-prioritized business. But the real challenge is if you want a long-term, financially uh, sound company, you need to get the people part right first. Yeah. And I think that's probably what you're referring to. Exactly. I, I think what you say is, is a genius way of putting it. It's, it's, it's the human capital drives every other type of capital you have, whether it be social capital, whether it be intellectual capital, whether it be uh, financial capital. Um, uh, I worked with a venture fund, uh, Fred Best's uh, NEPA venture fund when it was NEPA. And Fred uh, and his partner, Glenn, we used to talk about this. Business comes down to first management, second, actually, it's management, and third, finally, it's management. And it was kind of a funny, <laughs> funny joke, but the, the point is, is that if you don't get the people pieces right, you only have that financial success for a short period of time. Um, and that short period of time, is, it's not going to be uh, you know, months, maybe, but it, it's going to have its own uh, ability to hand, handle stresses and changes. Um, we used to say that uh, if you took a great business plan and handed it to an insufficient team, that it'll fail, and if you hand a, a poor business plan to a, to a great team, the great team will figure out how to make it work. So that, I think that resonates with what you said. Yeah, well, what are some of the characteristics that make up a great team? Um, well, I, I think, I think it's, it, there's two key things, I think, which happen, um, or, or three maybe, but one, they also have a shared vision, and they have to share values. So the culture of value, values and vision is really important. What are we here for? What's the, what's the long-term picture? When I say vision, it's not just a statement. It's you have a valid or a vibrant conversation around what it feels like, what you talk about, what a day looks like, what are your customer issues, where are you going, how far have you come. So you put a 10-year vision out there. Where do we want to be in 10 years? And you work it back into a mission. And the values support your ability to get there. That's one. Now, I think number two is, is that roles and responsibilities are, are identified. 
um, and, and people understand what their roles and responsibilities and what's expected of them, you support that with metrics, both forward-looking and backward-looking metrics. Many people use backward-looking metrics, and they're, they're great to understand what you've done, but in order to understand what you need to do, you need to have forward-looking metrics, and that's a conversation you could have with somebody uh, on a full half-an-hour show. And the third yeah. piece, which is really important, is there's a sense that people understand that the enemies live outside the walls of the company. And uh, when companies get to that 40, 50 person, you start seeing it, and 100 people, you really see it. But the people start identifying other groups within the company as their adversary. And that is the exact, exactly wrong behavior you want. You want people yeah. rolling up their sleeves, sitting down saying, we have a challenge. I always, I eradicate the word problem. We have a challenge, and the challenge is X, and I need your help to get, it, get over it. How can we do this? And talk about how, and talk about challenges, and not talk about problems, and talk about why. Right, so. and get everybody rowing in the right direction. Exactly. Don't go anywhere, Doug. We've got to take a quick commercial break, pay a few bills, but we'll be right back on Behind the Numbers. Or just want to eat like one? Visit Rostelli Market Fresh, your home for the freshest locally sourced ingredients to please everyone who loves great food. Our organic meats, quality seafood, and free-range poultry are cut fresh to order. Chefs create culinary-inspired prep foods made fresh every day, which pair nicely with our vast selection of fine wines and spirits. Choose from handmade pastas, artisan cheeses, organic produce, and grocery items, all from the finest purveyors. Rostelli Market Fresh, from our family to yours. RVN TV is a platform for people of any industry to share their story. Over 285,000 viewers are tuning in to RVN TV shows monthly. We guarantee a great experience that you'll be sharing with everyone you know while increasing your personal and company's brand awareness. But what is your brand? According to Forbes, it's a combination of your logo, your product, your design and feel, and your personality. Did you know that aside from being a guest, we offer even more opportunity to boost your brand? Adding your company logo and website on screen during your interview will allow viewers to recognize your brand instantly. Incorporating images and video clips is another great way to showcase your product during your live segment. Let viewers see how good you really are. And most importantly, there's you and your interview. For less than the cost of a newspaper, direct mail, or a magazine ad, you can leave our studio and within 48 hours have a permanent digital copy of your live segment to link to your social media, embed into your company website, or use in email marketing. Investing in your brand is so very important, and we can't wait to have you as a guest. Shelter dogs aren't broken. They've simply experienced more life. If they were human, we would call them wise. They would be the ones with tales to tell and stories to write. The ones dealt a bad hand who responded with courage. Do not pity a shelter dog. Adopt one. Say we've got grit and we'll take it as a compliment because it's our uncommon drive our spark within that brings us together and sets us apart. We are temple made. And when others take shortcuts, when others take breaks, when others take the easy way, we take charge. Add us on social media to watch bloopers, behind the scenes footage, previews, and more. 
Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder. Today, we're talking about entrepreneurship, leadership, driving value in your business with Doug Bloom, who is a CEO coach and the Philadelphia chair for Tiger 21. Covered a lot of ground in the first segment, Doug. I um, wanted to continue on the theme of leadership challenges. And it's the idea of ambiguity, uh, making decisions in uh, less than perfect data, awareness scenarios, things like that. Talk a little bit about that. You do in your, your playbook. Let's hear your perspective. The, um, the leadership is about managing ambiguity. Um, and, and top leadership is really about you know, trying to drive the ambiguity out of the organization. But um, the, the Marines have a, uh, what they call the 70% rule, and I'm not a Marine. Um, but the 70% rule is if you have 70% of the intel you need, and you have 70% uh, uh, of the resources you need to execute, and you have 70% confidence in the decisions the right way to go, you just go with it. And what that does, it creates expediency of action in the face of ambiguity. That you're not sitting there waiting for more data, you're not sitting there waiting for one more person to show up, et cetera. And, and there's wisdom in it, because a decision made in time is going to be much more fruitful than a decision made um, with, uh, with not enough time to, to execute. And because time fights, time beats up everybody pretty, uh, pretty steadily. Yeah. So the, um, the challenge with ambiguity is it freezes people. And they always talk about fight or flight. Well, there's also freeze. And a lot of leaders, and especially inexperienced leaders, freeze because they haven't seen it, seen it before. Um, they look for more data. That, and I've, I've been guilty of that sin myself. There's plenty yeah. of situations. I learned way too, uh, too, uh, too, my, too many times about um, hiring too quickly and firing too slow. So, because um, the ambiguity around what are we going to do um, uh, really exists. The, um, so what leaders can do is, is once they build their, frame, their framework, they build their vision, they build their values, they, build, they put together a good team, um, they, they understand their metrics, they understand not just looking at their, their financials to say what was our profit, but understand, start looking at things on a per headcount basis start looking at things on a per project basis, and they start looking at changes in those trends over time, they be, begin to see what, what activities in their business are actually creating value on an atomistic level. And when they can do that, now they can actually say, okay, if we add more of this, we add more of that, they become the, begin to get an experimental, experimental aspect to the, with respect to the business versus a victim aspect with respect to the business. Begin to thinking about, we can try this, we can try that. I had employees who would come into me and say, we're screwed. I said, well, how are we screwed? That's great, great news, thank you for bringing it to me. They say, this happened, I said, okay. And what's the downside? Blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. Tell me one thing we can do. They'd sit for a while. They'd say, just one thing. Yeah. One thing we can do. And they'd say, that's great. I wrote it down. What's another thing we can do? They'd write it down. I'd say, you write it down. And they'd write it down. And after about four or five of these things, they'd go, oh, we can do this and we can do that. And they'd go, you great. You solved the problem. They walked out. They didn't do anything. All we did was drive out the ambiguity. Interesting. Because you know, business travels at light speed. Uh, but sometimes you don't want to jump too quickly. Is there a balancing act then uh, in terms of avoiding paralysis by analysis and moving too quickly? Um, I think in hiring it's always weird. I, I can just say that. Um, I think if you know it's on, on point, if it's something that you, you've committed to from your values, um, if you have the resources, I think the, 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 marine, the marine dictum is probably pretty cool. If, yeah. if you're pretty sure it's what you should be doing, you're pretty sure you have what you need to do it, and, you, and you're pretty sure it's, it's uh, you know, if, if you're seeing it real, then you should probably do it. Fair enough. I want to shift gears just a little bit. So the show is called Behind the Numbers, but uh, in this instance, I want to kind of dip our toes into some numbers because I know you've got some uh, analytics that you can share regarding kind of supporting the people thesis in, in the realm of uh, venture capital rates of return. Yeah, that's um, 
with uh, cooperating with a venture capital uh, friend of mine and a colleague of mine who's been very successful in the early stage uh, investing for a long period of time, we took a, a chunk of his portfolio that had come, gotten to conclusion, and we looked at 15 different factors, um, ranging from did the market have pull, did the, 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 you know, the market provide margins, to did the team per perform in specific ways, did they manage cash well, did they have predictable results, did they create a customer following, was the CEO engaging, did the CEO communicate the vision, all these different factors. And, the, and they're all looking at predict factors you could probably look at in an early stage company when it presents to an investor. Uh, factors you can actually try to see or consider. And some of the performance factors, did they manage cash predictable results and cash on cash return, those are kind of outcome factors. So some of them were kind of windshield and some of them were kind of rear windshield factors. Yeah. And we looked and we took all of his portfolio, the, that, that section of his portfolio, 24 companies, and we looked at the cash on cash return and ranked them all that, by that. We also, but we also looked at ranking uh, these factors on a, a one to four scale of how present were these factors at the time of investment. It turned out there was, there was four factors that actually correlated, both positively and negatively correlated, with performance. And they were, does the market have pull? Excuse me, yes, does the market have pull? That means, is there a real need for this market? And one of the things I always tell um, my, my clients is the number one thing you need for business is a customer with cash and urgency. So that's representative of that, that factor. The second factor is could the CEO build an empowered team, i.e., do they have the, 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 a team in place? Do they have people they know how to work with? And, and is this a, a team that they're not going to micromanage? Does this CEO have to be the leading star is just somebody who's willing to sit back and allow things to run. Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, talks about, I can't remember, the CEO of, of Walgreens and how he was the most unassuming person but ran an incredibly great organization. The, um, the third bit was, uh, was uh, did they create a values and community, values-based culture and a community around this company? Is this the sort of company where people love to come to work, they love to, to work with other people in the company, the customers are excited about working with a customer company, the vendors are excited about working with the company, it had a buzz. Mm -hmm. and, and the last, did the, um, the CEO have great relationships with the board? And, and for that, relationships with the board really translates into a couple things. And really is, can the CEO have strategic conversation in an intelligent dialogue? And, and that doesn't translate to the board, that translates with vendors, customers, and really pitch the story of the company and bring more people into the community. And number two, does the, the CEO have personal accountability? Because we're dealing with a board, if a CEO doesn't have personal accountability, this is my responsibility, doesn't shove it off to his CFO did something wrong, his, his, his sales guys aren't selling well. He takes responsibility, he or she takes responsibility for what's going on. Does the person have that type of, of skill set? So the interesting thing is, we ranked them all three, threes, fours, twos, and ones. The companies that had all threes and fours in those four quadrants outperformed um, the, all, all the other companies on, a, on an average cash on cash return by a factor of six. Wow. But even more so, which is even more compelling, is the companies that had three or four in three out of those four categories, any three out of those four categories, outperformed the remaining companies by a factor of 36 to one. In fact, having three out of those four categories have a three or four, I'm a lot of threes and fours here, somebody should play the daily number, but having the threes or fours in those three out of four categories, it, it turns out you, you avoided 82% of the companies that didn't return 100% of the capital. So as an investor, you're looking at numbers, you're looking at margins, you're looking, but you should have a lot of reference checks with potential customers about pull, about market pull. You should have a lot of reference checks about this leader, about where they worked in the past. How, what's their strategic thinking like? What's their level of personal responsibility? 
and, 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 and are they able to step down and let other people shine? And, and can they actually get things through others in a, in a meaningful way? And then finally, you know, what, what's, your, what's your company's vision? What's your company's values? What are you doing culturally to build a culture? Now, as a coach, I say you can actually add those things as you move along because that's what coaches can help. But uh, bottom line is if I was investing today, I'd be looking at those, for those characteristics in any entrepreneur I was investing behind. That's good stuff. It certainly validates. And yeah. that's what I well, think. Well, one of the things, it is an end of one. So we, I'd like to replicate that study. Um, and I've talked to a bunch of venture capitalists, and they're very, very busy people. So that's, that's on the, uh, the, the kind of the, the bucket list with, with what I'm doing. Okay. But it, I'd love to do an end of 20 or an end of 50. And uh, we can have another conversation. About so if there's a VC out there watching or if there's anybody that wants to contact you for any reason, how can they do that? Sure. Uh, it's uh, DAB at DABventures.com or Doug.Bloom at, at Tiger21Chair.com. So we have about two minutes to go in the program, as I understand from the, the voice in my ear. Uh, That's funny. The voice in my ear says we have two minutes, too. Yeah. That's a different voice. Uh, it's a different subject, too. Uh, so now in the 90 seconds that we've got, uh, we were talking at the break about leadership styles and what entrepreneurs aspire to be. You'd mentioned three different kinds of leadership styles. Do you yeah, want to talk a little bit about that and what, what your recommendation would sure. be? My coach, uh, soccer coach, John Beyer, um, uh, from Colgate University, passed away recently. And um, he used to talk about two leadership styles. He used to talk about leading by example and, and, then, and then leading by uh, uh, driving, helping people step out of chaos, and I and and it's clearly on a, on a on a soccer field that makes a ton of sense. Uh, but I would say that in business, there's three types of leadership styles. There's there's lead by command, and everybody's worked for somebody who leads by command. They lead by the by by rule. There's um there's lead by example, and there's people that say do as I do, and they're they, brilliant task ma or technicians, and you can try to follow them. And then there's lead by vision. There's people who create a picture, and people buy into that picture. And, and the goal is you go into a meeting and, and you talk about the picture and people think they're building the picture, you're guiding the picture, and they all walk out with their own interpretation, which is aligned with where they're going, their vision of the picture. And, that, and then people follow for three, three different reasons as well. People follow by fear, people follow by duty, and people, people follow by aspiration. So would you rather create a company which is about vision and aspiration or command and fear? And you can figure out which, which way um, uh, you want to lean or what you're, where you're leaning today and maybe start moving in other directions depending on what you need. doesn't mean the command isn't needed. doesn't mean that example is needed. You need to have command. You yeah. cannot rule without command. It's not a democracy. Don't, people don't get a vote. And, and also you need to lead by example because how you show up is how others will show up. But the point is, is what do you want to emphasize? And that's, that's the point of that. Yeah, so that's a recurring theme, right? So Simon Sinek talks about start with why. Yeah. That's, that's the mission. Uh, our friends at BCAT talk about aligning the corporate brand and the corporate culture. It's really all about getting everybody to drink that corporate Kool-Aid, so to speak, on the way in the door. And as you mentioned earlier, about getting everybody to row in the same direction. Yep. Thank you. Okay, well, enough said then. So I think on that note, we've got to wrap up. Uh, today, my guest was Doug Bloom, who's an executive coach, works with CEOs, also the Philadelphia chair for Tiger 21. And we had a great chat about how to drive business value and things that you need to understand to become a more effective leader. My name is Dave Bookbinder. If you'd like to know more about me, you can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Till next time, we'll see you again on Behind the Numbers. Take care.